All right, how you doing, everyone? Welcome once again to Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. I am Russ Salzberg, joined, my, joined by my colleague today, David Deal, two-time Super Bowl champion. And David, you know, going into um, listening to Eli in the locker room earlier, uh, he, he was asked about, you know, how they did it last week against Houston. And he said, well, they maintained a, um, they had a sense of urgency. And I think that's the best way to take care of business this week is maintaining that sense of urgency. People were asking, well, how, how do you keep the momentum going? Best way to build on momentum, you played, is keep winning. Vitamin W, it cures all. Once <laughs> you start winning else. football games, it's it definitely changes the, the confidence, the momentum uh, that you have, not only for that week, but possibly the following week. Now it's just building off of it. And, and seeing the way that this Giants team played energized, where they didn't let an adverse situation dictate the rest of the football game was huge for them. And, you know, we just talked about offensively the start that they had. We will always talk about how important it is to start fast, but for this Giants offense to go out there for a 10-play, 75-yard drive, you know, to finish it off and capitalize it with a Barkley touchdown run was huge. And when you look back at that outside of the delay of game penalty when Gallman was coming in and Barkley was going to get checked real quick, there wasn't a negative play in that drive. So what do you know? Your first two third downs are third and four and third and five. Those are manageable situations that help about that ease your offensive line into it. And then also the adjustments of watching Eli Manning run this offense out of the shotgun. You think about watching him throughout this entire game. I think there was only one or two times total where I saw him under center go into a five or a seven-step max protection drop other than that, they were running the football, moving the pocket, throwing screens, and making sure that they gave their wide receivers enough time to work across the middle in those different bunch routes and those combinations that we know that Pat Shermer likes to love to develop and create that separation. And when you have those elements and you see them out on the football field and they come to form in the touchdown and success, those are the things that you see on film that you need to duplicate because – you know that your team's capable of it, and you know that you're even capable of more once you see it out there. Well, you know, as I said to you, and I, I was saying to you know the people here yesterday, the de- the demise of Eli Manning has been oh boy, yeah, exaggerated. But what Eli did not not only I mean it was it was vintage Eli. It was not only getting them off to a fast start, but also when they were coming back to put the final nail, which really was the final nail in the coffin, the final touchdown. Yeah. Because, let, let's be frank, the last touchdown came with a second to go. Last 75 yards was, you know, what we called garbage time. Yeah. So now the question is, what do you do uh, to go ahead and keep the momentum going and to build on it? As you say, vitamin W. Again, the number is 201-939-4513. I would maintain this. You know, because it's Drew Brees, and you've been this. Cause he doesn't. He, they're only scoring thirty-four points a game. That's no big deal. Yeah, but but, but because <laughs> it's Drew Brees, everybody's thinking, okay, here we are. It's gunfight at the OK Corral or gunfight at MetLife Stadium. But to me, the best way to defend Drew Brees or anybody like him is to make sure to keep his rear end off the field. And how do you do that? is with a ball-control offense. Without a doubt, time of possession. Anytime that you face a high-powered offense or a a Hall of Fame type of quarterback like they're going to face this weekend, it's imperative 
for the offense and the offensive line to control the time of possession and put themselves in a favorable position for third downs because we know that that's how this Saints defense thrives. They're not getting after people and winning one-on-one battles. They're doing it because they're getting teams in bad situations after creating negative plays stopping the run because the Saints defense is sixth in the NFL stopping the run, but they're 30th against the pass and have given up 12 allowed touchdowns in the year. That's the most in the NFL. So if you're able to stymie them and stay positive and create plays where you're not making negative ones, that's where you're going to be able to dictate the tempo of this game, and that's where you're going to be able to, more than anything, open up those passing seams and those routes downfield that are going to be crucial for this offense with Sterling Shepard and Odell Beckham Jr. So that is a, a huge piece and a huge element to it, and I say a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's for every game. Look at the opening drive that we had in Super Bowl 42 up against the New England Patriots. Well, it was a 10-minute drive, and there was a point to that. Keep their quarterback off of the field. Speaking of which, just because you brought up the Patriots, Patriots just got beat Sunday night by the Detroit Lions. Why? I mean, the, the time of possession was oh, twice yeah, as much. Oh, yeah, it was lopsided. Lopsided. Yeah. And that's how you beat a good quarterback, is making sure he is kept off the field. So, again, that that's a great point, David. And, and I think, uh, I, listen, we've seen – just what a Saquon Barkley can do, what he is, and against this team with that kind of quarterback being on the opposite side, best way to, is is for Saquon to get his motor going and keep uh, the other offense off the field. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. I am here along with David Deal. Let's start the phone calls off with Chris in Alamucci, New Jersey. Chris, how are you, buddy? Hey, hey, hey good. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, David. Um, I know you got a lot of calls, so I'll kind of make this quick. Con- considering Engram's out for the next uh, couple weeks, and um, the uh, the Saints are going to be down, I think, with Patrick Robinson being out, and they'll be down a defensive back. Uh, do you think it'll be more likely, considering that scenario, or Giants going more with uh, a double tight end look uh, quite a bit during the day, and going and trying to get that base defense out on the uh, out on the, out on the field for the Saints? Whereas, you know, Eli can read and, and maybe even put Barkley in motion from, from the, uh, the back position and possibly get him lined up again on the linebacker or, you know, go with that jumbo package and, and just, uh, you know, ram it through and, and just try to wear that defense out and control the clock. I think that's a great question. I think that it's partially going to be based upon where we think that the Saints are going to be health-wise on the defensive side of the ball. Because as I stated earlier, you know, this is a defense that is sixth in the NFL stopping the run, but they're 30th up against the pass, and they've given up 12 passing touchdowns, which is the most in the NFL. So you know that they're going to come in, and their primary number one goal and objective is let's force Saquon Barkley out of this game, let's put it in the hands of Eli Manning, and try to get after this offensive line with pressure. So that's definitely something that you know that you're going to come into this game with, thinking that they're going to do defensively. But having said that, the way that they were able to scheme up against this Houston Texans defense and take their defensive line out of it was incredible. The fact that Eli Manning ran a lot more out of shotgun, not only just handing the ball off, but in the passing game, it allowed the time and the blocks and the double teams to develop in the run game. It gave him extra time and the protection that he needed, and it just was able to get the ball out of his hands where our wide receivers could beat those corners one-on-one in space and create that separation. 
So that is a huge part of this, and I, I wouldn't shy away from it. If we can get Saquon Barkley one-on-one on one of these linebackers, that's a win. That's what you're trying to attack. So if you think about putting them out there in a shotgun, that's one way, great way to do it. But the other way that you can do it is is go to tight end, stem out of it, and then try to catch them off guard with the personnel. You know, yeah, as, no. as Pat Shermer said just, just a little while ago, Chris, you know, you game plan certain things, but then you also deal with what's coming your way as the game progresses. And I, I think that that's also going to dictate what they choose to do. Uh, good stuff. All right. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. it. Thanks, All right, Chris. Chris. Thank you. Let's uh, stay in New Jersey. Go to Timothy. How are you, Tim? Fine. I got a question for you, guys. Yes, sir. When the when the Giants, after week four, the Giants will before the after before the week five game against the Panthers, the Giants will activate Josh Moore from a four game suspension, release Eric Flowers, and sign Brian Hollick from the from their practice squad. Well, we got another prediction uh, here. Uh, well, you know that remains to be seen, Tim. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for the call. I, I, we, we don't have a crystal ball. No. Let's go. I like he comes. Tim always comes in early with the predictions. But I will say this. Morrow to this defense is going to be a huge addition when it comes back from suspension. His whole primary and objective as a 3-4 player and at that end position is to tie up offensive linemen and let the linebackers run. That's something that he did when he was coming out of college at Stanford, and that's something that we saw him do very well during the preseason when he played. So it's going to be a nice addition to have him back and get him in that rotation with the D-line. And speak, speaking of defense, uh, Pat Sherman also mentioned today that both O.V., Olivier Vernon, and Eli Apple will be out there, you know, some form of practice. Thank today. goodness. He said both of them are getting better. Uh, I still would not expect to see either one this week. Uh, a high ankle sprain, which, again, we didn't expect that's what it was, but that is indeed what it was. So I think that's like four weeks. I think this is the fourth week coming yeah. up. Uh, so that takes – well, it's really more than the fourth week, but it, it, it takes care of him. And Eli's a groin, and they don't want to screw around with that. So that's usually – you know, if it's not too serious, a couple of weeks. Look at how much uh, that groin affected Brent Grimes in Monday Night Football. So let, let's see, uh, you know, I mean, they did well last week. Let's see them do well again this week. Now let's go back out to uh, your hometown, old the Windy City, Chicago. Robert from Chicago. I love it. Hey, Dave. Looking good with that ring on. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's a, a good thing when you have a decision which one you want to wear in the morning. That's a good problem to have. Oh, isn't that? It's yeah. a nice problem You're to right. have. Very, very nice. <laughs> um, so I just got two comments and then um, two questions, and I'll take it off the air. Go ahead. Uh, one comment, well, you can speak highly, is with Eli working that play action, he looks a lot better. And you know what a product of that was, Robert, that people aren't getting, uh, giving him enough credit? John Greco. John Greco yeah. filling in from the week before seven mental errors on the offensive line by blitz pickup. There were zero in this game. And it's a good thing that when you're in a game like this, when you have a center filling in for the first time and you never hear his name called throughout the entire game, that is a sign that somebody's doing their job. You, you know, Robert, right. Robert, everybody has been preoccupied, of, and for good reason, with the offensive line, the, the 
bad play, the improvement, not, you know, last week. And obviously, you know, Chad Wheeler re replacing um, Eric Flowers. But to David's credit, and, and th this is an offensive lineman talking, it's a great point. You didn't hear nobody after the game. We're talking about we're talking about Wheeler. We're talking about, of course, Eli and, and this one and that one. No one was talking about. I mean, like like nobody was talking about John Greco. Like a church church mouse. Nobody. Nobody's talking about him. And and David's right. When it's quiet like that, that's a calming influence, and that's exactly what he was. Kudos to uh, not only uh, John Greco. He did a really fine job. Not only that, but talk about stepping in as a leader. He was the player who went in front of the entire team and gave the pregame speech before this game. You know, nice. and remember, I think I mentioned it to you, was it last week? You know, prior to one of the games, he went out, uh, him and Nate Solder had walked up to Saquon Barkley's locker, and they had an extensive, yeah, you were telling me, extensive yeah. conversation at length. Now, this is John Greco. We're not talking about the starting center at the time, okay? Him and Nate Solder walked over and... and <clears throat> They had an extensive conversation. So that, that just told me a little bit something about his leadership. So when I knew he was becoming the center, you know, taking over, you know, I wasn't worried about it. No. You know, no, no, granted, he was the backup, and he was the backup for a reason. But that's why you have a veteran backup. And that's one of the things that I discussed last week, somebody who has over 70-plus starts in their career but also knows the system down cold. He played under it in Cleveland. He played under it in St. Louis, St. Louis, all for Coach Shermer. Just look at how much more confidence and how much pressure it took off of Eli directing this offense and taking calls off of him. Yeah, it was it, huge. It, Without it, a doubt. It really was a seamless transition. What else you got, Robert? Okay. Um, it all relies on the line. Uh, so now that we got Greco, could deal, can you elaborate more on – so with their depth in the center and the guard position, and then also uh, with uh, Wheeler taking over, can you just uh, give some fans uh, some of the, I guess, his strong points? Okay, yeah, definitely. So obviously... And then I'll take it off the air. All right, Robert, thank you. You know, this was a discussion uh, that we had last week going into the, the this uh, Houston game, and people were asking, oh, well, what do you think about Wheeler? At that point, he didn't do anything throughout practice, number one, to win the job to start training camp and to win it for the regular season. But two, he was starting to get some glimpses, but it wasn't consistent. Last week, they gave him opportunities in practice, and he maximized on them, and that's why they were confident enough for him to take over and be the starter at right tackle in that game. So it's, it's vital that he came in and played the way that he did. But having said that, you know, people will say, well, it's J.J. Watt. Giving up three sacks is still three sacks. And, and when you give up negative plays in the run game for TFLs, yes, it's difficult. And once again, you're saying it's up against J.J. Watt, but also you're a professional right tackle starter in the NFL. Like, it's not something to this point because of the experience that we had in Flowers that you can just overlook it and say, oh, well, he did a great job. Like, you have to be able to be critical on players. The thing that I think he did unbelievably well and much better than Eric Flowers was his run blocking. Not only when he was front side, but his ability to be on the backside and cut off a three technique or a defensive end in that zone scheme. That's something that Eric Flowers struggled against. That's something that he did very well. And if you go back, and we actually did a breakdown of it, if you see the touchdown run by Saquon Barkley, that double team between him and Omame was clinic. It was exactly what you were looking for. He was able to cut off the defensive end. Omame got to the second level, and 
What do you know? You get a touchdown out of it. You, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, correcting things. You, you know, there was improvement, yeah. but there's still a lot of work to do. And, and in fairness to Chad Wheeler, you know, it was a start for him. It was his, it was his sixth start in his career total. Right. But, you know, again, Pat Shermer said something today, and this all applies to what we're talking about. Pat, Pat said it's obviously you're happy with the W, but he said it's also very, very important, even with the W, that's when you really want to make your corrections. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, not just on losses, but you no. want to you want to look. This is what we did, but this is what we can do that much better. And you know, I, I think Wheeler is going to be one of those guys. Listen, you brought a good, good point. I was sitting having lunch with Dave, and he brought out the point. Listen, yeah, it is three sacks, and three sacks are three sacks. I don't care where it is, and yes, it is J.J. Watt. But if those three sacks had come against Eric Flowers, you know what would be going on here today, yeah. folks. So, you know, it's correcting it. And also, in going in line with what you said, uh, Shermer had said going into it and right after the game, it wasn't so much what Flowers wasn't doing. It was so much, and you brought it up, brought up, brought it out about practice, it was so much what Wheeler had done to show that he deserved the chance. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. Your opportunities are never lost. Someone will take the one that you miss. He got his opportunity. They started bringing him in on Wednesday to see if he can handle it. He got the job done and earned it. Just to remind the folks, uh, to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win yourself amazing giant prizes throughout this season. But right now, the number is 201-939-4513. Let's go to Manhattan and speak with Antonio. Antonio, you're on with Russ and David. Hey, what's going on, Russ? Uh, I know this isn't David Deal appreciation moment, but David, I just want to say thank you, and you're the man, bro. Um, everything you've done for this organization is off the hook. Obviously, we're getting us two rings. But then you're on Twitter and you're adding fans and you're replying to people, man. You're just, I just want to say thank you so much, man. You're still, you know, everything is like blue for you. So I appreciate that so much. You don't even understand. Antonio, anytime you want to call in, hang out, I could use a hype, man. You're doing an unbelievable job. So this is great. I'll be down for that, man. Anytime. How can we help you, buddy? Okay, so just wanted to touch base on two things, and you kind of just touched base on it right now in terms of, you know, Wheeler giving up three sacks. And what I wanted to touch base a little bit more on was you mentioned that he still was doing a little bit, a lot better in the run blocking yeah. than Eric Flowers. So even with that being said, um, is Eric Flowers that far behind in run blocking that he still wouldn't be better off at playing that right tackle? Or would you want to see one more week of Wheeler and great amount, and then say, you know, maybe we should put Eric Flowers back, or no, Eric Wheeler should stay. That's my first question. Wheeler stays until yeah. he doesn't prove that he deserves to be out there, and that's something that you know we've talked about throughout the season, and we talked about with Eric Flowers. This general manager and Dave Gettleman, and this head coach and Shermer, it's not about feelings. It's not about where you were drafted. This is the it's pros. A, this, right. It's now about who's going to be out on the field and help you win football games. And before the season right. when there was the competition, Eric Flowers won that competition but has not been doing enough, obviously, during the game, but throughout practice consistently to maintain that job. They gave it to Wheeler. He was able to capitalize it starting last week and Wednesday in practice, built up more reps. They felt that they can go with him. He went out and got the job done, and now it's up to him to continue to improve. 
so that something doesn't go back and that you don't fall back into the way of, of getting back to Eric Flowers unless he fights and earns it. I'll just say this. I always talk and I always say this. Body language never whispers, it screams. It drove me crazy to sit there and watch the game and then on the sidelines the first time they flashed Eric Flowers eating sunflower seeds, not holding your helmet. That's almost just like conceding to the loss. Yeah, you know, Antonio, uh, he's, uh, when I say he, Chad Wheeler is listed on the depth chart as the starting uh, right tackle. Yep. And it's his job. Yeah. You know, it's his job now uh, to lose. Or yeah. to maintain. Let, let's be positive. Bingo, yeah. Let, let, let's, let's say it's his job to maintain. If he stumbles, that's a different story. But I don't think there's there's no remote chance that he's not going to start this week unless, God forbid, he's injured between now and Sunday. Okay, and now my last question is, David, so in this this game plan for Houston that just happened, we threw a lot of – we had a lot of short-step drops. It wasn't, it wasn't many deep balls, obviously, because of J.J. Watt. And J.J. Watt was inches away from having, like, five sacks that game and even causing more havoc. So do you think this, is, this was just a game plan for Texans, or is this the identity of the offense? And the only reason why I mentioned bring this up is because that was pretty much what we tried to do last year, which it was very, you know, three-step drops, not, not a lot of deep balls. But for whatever reason, because maybe different formations, it's working out better this year. Uh, do you think that that's what we should be, or you know, we should switch it up based on who we're playing week to week? And have a great one, guys. I definitely think Thanks, it's, it's based upon the the matchup and the personnel that you're playing on the defensive side of the ball. And yeah, you may say, well, that's what we kind of did last season, but that's not what they did in the first two games. Each game that you're going to make changes, you're going to do things differently scheme wise. And for the Giants going into this one, they just felt the best way to get the offensive line acclimated and build confidence and also function fast in their offense was to run more out of shotgun to start the football game, which, as you can see, it was a success for them. So you know that they're going to make adjustments and tailor it to them, but to sit there and say, oh, well, the shotgun plan is the one that you're going to use moving forward, it's all based upon the personnel that you're playing because, let's face it, looking at this defense outside of Cam Jordan on the Saints, it's not like looking at Merciless and Clowney and J.J. Watt on the other side. So you have a different matchup, and you're going to try to expose it differently. That's all. Billy in Middletown, you're on uh, Big Blue Kickoff with Russ and David. Hey, Russ. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. What's up, Bill? What's up, Bill? Hey, to me, this whole thing comes down to ball control. Plenty of long drives. Give me eight to ten-minute drives. Keep Breeze on the sideline. Keep them, just keep them out there. Keep them cold, right? And uh, if we can't score special teams, we need to pin them deep, yeah. right? And then when defense gets out there, Fetcher, throw everything at him. Throw the kitchen sink at Breeze. We see he can't stand back there, you know, for four to five seconds surveying the field. We've got to get to that guy, and you've got to rattle him. Well, uh, listen, Billy, I don't know if you heard us, if, if you just tuned in. You know, you, you're echoing what we said earlier. It's all about the best way to keep a quarterback, a very good quarterback, off the field. Uh, uh, to stop him from beating you is to keep him off the field. And so we said, you're right, it's ball control. I mean, this is where we you really want to – we know what Saquon could do, but this is where he can shine. Yeah, and you can't let this game get into a shootout. Right now the Saints are averaging 34 points a game. and You don't, was, want, you don't want to think that way. No, because when's the last time the Giants have scored over 30 points? It was 36 games ago. Well, we like to think uh, that this uh, offense yeah. will be able to do it, yeah. but you, you don't want to get into living that way. No. I would agree with you, though. That we, we want to see more from uh, – 
special teams, in particular, you know, on on punt returns and stuff like that. You know, the punter, uh, Dixon, to me, has been pretty good. Yeah. I have no problems with him. And, and listen, very quietly, uh, Aldrich Rosas is perfect, you know, uh, your place kicker. So that's a good sign. So, you know, but I agree with you. Deal. You got you to stop him. And the best way to stop him is to make sure he doesn't get a chance to light up uh, your defense, you know, so keep him off the field. The only thing that scares hey, uh, uh, Billy, hold on. The thing I got for you guys is All right, Billy's rolling. No, a, a little forward thinking, okay? All of us, you know, all of us this week should be a Detroit Lions fan because if they can take out the Cowboys, right, that's a 1 o'clock game, the yep. Philly game is a 1 o'clock game, but if Detroit can get past the Cowboys and, you know, pull the Cowboys down, but it, it's only good if the Giants can just get past uh, you, you know what, Billy? Thank you for the call, my friend. But and I'm, I'm, I know, I don't think, I know, Dave, you're going to agree with this. It's the fourth game of the season. Just, you're the Giants. Just, you, you don't need to be scoreboard watching. You're the Giants. No, yeah. You take care of your own business. Worry about the Saints. W- w- worry about the Saints and Big Blue and what you do. And the rest will take care of itself. It's too early in the season to be doing that. Now, this is the fourth game, so you like to you like to go and look at the situation in quarters, okay? We always say a coach likes to break down a season 4-4-4-4. Four, 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 four. Yeah. Let me tell you, going into the season, if you would have said the Giants could be 2-2 two and two with this schedule after four games, you would have been very satisfied. Yeah. Uh, fair enough? Yeah. I mean, you want to win every game, but I think you would have been satisfied. And I think if they could do that, especially after losing the first two, people should be satisfied. The only thing that go back to Billy's call was he said Betcher needs to be aggressive. They need to attack. They need to blitz. They need to be able to do that with their front four because when you think about receiving running backs, Alvin Kamara has 30, which is the most by a running back in his first three games since the Super Bowl era. So you're talking about now with not having Ingram in there, how have they been able to overcome it? By throwing him the football out of the backfield, he hasn't had over 14 touches rushing it. They've just been targeting him out of the passing game, trying to create one-on-ones up against the line. 30. 30 receptions in his first three games. It's a lot. It's a lot. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go to uh, was it, Let's go to, down to Atlanta and speak with Connor. Connor, how you doing today? Hey, guys. How y'all doing? What's Great. Up? What's up? Man, I'm good. Um, Dave, I, I, I got to tell you, you've changed the way I've watched football, man. I, I used to think the offensive line was a bunch of big guys pushing each other around. Boy, come on, Connor. Come on, my man. <laughs> got to be the smartest ones I, I, on the hey, field. Your, your, your analysis has been incredible, man, and it, I just thank you for that. And, thank hey, you. I just want to ask you something, and, I, and I'll get off the air uh, when I'm done. Omame, he kind of struggled the first couple weeks. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and that being said, you know, he had a really good game. Uh, against the Texans, do you think it could be because he's a little bit more comfortable playing with Greco and playing with Wheeler because they kind of spent a lot of time on that second string? You think he upped his own game personally? Uh, and I just I wanted to see what you thought about that. Thanks, uh, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Great call, thanks Connor. Connor. Appreciate it. You know, I think it can be a combination of a couple things. Number one, this is the first time in his career that he's actually been on the right side of the offensive line. He's always been at the left side at left guard. Mm-hmm. And then when they drafted Hernandez, obviously switched him over. So that could be a part of it. But also, we know that Omame's strengths is running the football and his run blocking more than pass blocking. And when you're on that side and have you communication errors and also – who are defenses and defensive ends attacking? 
They were attacking Eric Flowers. You're going to get a brunt of that stuff because you're on that side of the offensive line and they're attacking your right tackle that you're not on the same levels with communication-wise. It was clear watching this game, not only by the way that Greco demanded it and controlled the offense in the calls, but you could see the mesh in the double teams and the fits that Omame had were much better with Wheeler than they were with Flowers. Isn't it also, uh, Dave, you know, in, in fairness to, to the offensive line, and, you know, I was saying this last week and people were critical of it, the Giants were 3-13 and 13 last year. Yeah. They were 3-13. and 13. Like, like I said, there were seven new head coaches in the NFL this season, seven new coaches for a reason because seven teams – had bad seasons. Four of the five starters were new. Yeah, so th- they were new guys, and just because everybody was happy that they rebuilt the offensive line, it didn't mean that they were getting out of the gate looking like you know Lombardi's Packers, you know, uh, fuzzy sweep left Jerry and, Kramer and, yeah, yeah, rolling yeah, out yeah, there, sweep left and sweep right. No, you're 100. <laughs> yeah, right. everybody it, expects it. You know, you know, it, it's not done with pixie dust. No. That's a very difficult position. David will attest to that. And people will go immediately back to, oh, well, in Minnesota two years ago, they were able to do it. Well, yes, they also had one of the top five defenses and had every returning starter come back as well. So we knew that it was going to take a little bit of time. Listen, this is a great win. It's a great start and a momentum builder. But it doesn't dictate or give any guarantees to the rest of the season. It's up to this offensive line and this offense to continue to grow together and develop and work to get it. 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go to Connecticut. Check in with Steve. Steve, you're on with Russ and Dave. Hey, what's going on, guys? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you loud and clear, buddy. So it's an honor to talk to you guys. I'm a longtime listener, longtime fan, a whole life fan. Um, David Deal, they've already gone on a love fest for you, and I'll you know, <laughs> echo that. Thanks. Um, you, you can but, add right on yes. to it. Feel free. <laughs> yeah, no, you're obviously a beast. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Um, yeah, my question for today is uh, in regards to the tight ends. Um, I think Evan Ingram is a tremendous player, tremendous athlete, um, obviously helped my fantasy team last year. Um, but this year, um, I'm just thinking, you know, he's obviously, you know, it's no secret he's – I don't want to say one-dimensional because he, you know, is willing to block, but obviously is more of a pass-catching tight end. Do you think say, that? Don't say that without that any hesitation. Have, that's 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 one of the things that he had coming out. So you're correct with that assessment, absolutely. Yeah. So given the fact that we already have a lot of targets and playmaking um, ability with Saquon, with with Odell, with Sterling, and all these other guys, do you think it might actually benefit our offense in the long run? Uh, or at least not in the long run, I guess, for the temporary, uh, to have Rhett Ellison in there, given that, you know, he can catch in his own right, and he's also a much better, a really good blocker. Uh, well, you know, Pat Shermer kind of addressed that today. Uh, you know, he said, you know, are things going to change? He, he was asked specifically what you're talking about, Steve. Uh, you, you know, how much is game planning what going to change? He said, you know, they'll tinker with certain things to play to certain people's strengths. But that's why you have a guy like Rhett Ellison because, yeah. and he's familiar with Rhett as well. He's a Swiss Army. He, he can do it all. He, he's a tough guy. He knows how to play. Uh, he, he likes him as a player and as a person. But l- let's not minimize, you know, Ingram is an enormous talent. They're just of a different, different yeah, style of player. Yeah. So now with him out, you're going to have to deal with, you know, More when attention. I say deal with, you're going to do 
play to the Ellison's strengths or how that fits into the offense. And you just think about this. Now not having him out on the football field where you say, well, it could benefit because more guys are going to get fed the ball in progressions. But at the same time, look at the defensive perspective. It gives them one less guy to worry about that they know they can get over the top at that size. Yeah, that's true. I, I do like the idea of having Red Ellison helping out, especially with all the questions on the line. Absolutely. Uh, definitely helping Saquon as well. Um, I guess one more question, and I'll just take it off the air. Um, you know, it seems like we have a little bit of a, of a touchdown drought for Beckham, and we saw this in 2016 as well to start the season. Do you think that anything goes into that, or if it's scheme, or if there's anything, um, you know, inherently to issue with him scoring touchdowns lately? And I'll take that off the air. Thank you, guys. All right, Steve, thank you. I'm glad, glad you asked that because, that again, that was asked, you know, Coach Speaks on Wednesday, they asked about that. The touchdown to Shepard at the end was designed to go to OBJ. O- OBJ. Yeah. It wasn't there, so it went to Shep. And, and Sherman made a point of saying nobody was happier about that touchdown going to Shep than was Odell Beckham Jr. The point of the issue, as far as I'm concerned, is this. Who gives a rat's ass who's scoring the touchdowns as long as it's the Giants scoring the touchdowns? And you're winning. And and, 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 oh, you win and you're game. winning. That's and Odell has said, he said it last week, uh, uh, you know, amongst a crowd of people around his lock, he said, yeah, it'd be great, you know, if I can have one of those three touchdowns and 300-yard games. If we don't win, it doesn't matter. And, and if I don't have a big game and we do win, that's what matters. I, I, he's not given enough credit for being a team guy. No, and the thing that I love is that right away, like I was saying, right when that game started, I'm like, good, force feed it to OBJ because when you get him started early, now you're getting a defense on their heels and it opens up everything else for it everybody else. It opens up everything for everybody Without else. Without a doubt. You know, his presence makes everybody, you know, it makes everybody else more available prime just e- by him being there. Prime example, Monday Night Football, Antonio Brown up against the Buccaneers, has an unbelievable first half, scores a touchdown. He didn't catch another ball in the second half because their whole goal and objective was to take him out of the game. So they started getting to Juju Smith-Schuster and other players because it opens up more dynamic plays where your progressions and reads will take you to somebody else. And you know that as being a player and being that dynamic receiver. Having said that, I think this is the game where he can really capitalize. Think about him, what was it, two years ago in New Orleans, the big game that he had. This is another one. You know his hometown crowd is going to be watching this game. This is a defense that gives up over 336 in the air. This is a game that he can have a big, big-time explosive game. To Brandon in Secaucus we go. Hey, Brandon. How you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, you could have just drove over with this one instead of calling yeah. in. You're right here. Yeah, right? Yeah, well, hey, I'm a season ticket holder. That's the way it goes. So close to it. So, Dave, um, I called you last week. And uh, talked about the vultures of the New York media. They're all over your eyes. <laughs> a little more quiet this week. Yeah, I That's would say so. Said. What do you hey, know? He wait. gets protected. He's efficient. Makes those throws to OBJ in between two people on the sidelines. Hey, Br- Brandon. You, you know, at at halftime of the game. Okay, at halftime of the game. I t- and I'm glad you brought that up. I tweeted out. Get the chapstick ready because all the naysayers are going to be lining up to kiss Eli's ass tomorrow. One, oh, yeah. 175 yards, 12 or 14, <laughs> one touchdown first half. I guess he could play a little bit. You, you couldn't be more right when you say that. Yeah, and, and he remember, was dead on last week when he called with the two. Yep, yeah, you couldn't be more right, Brandon. 
Yeah, well, so the question I have, um, well, one point and one uh, question, I'll take it off the air. One point i got to make is for John Greco, look, this guy, been in the league 11 years. I don't know if he's got any pole balls under his belt, but he's been in the league 11 years. There's something to be said for that. When I saw him at the line, he was making adjustments. He was pointing. I don't know. I'm not. Dave, maybe you can tell me. He looks a little bit more comfortable than how uh, Jalapio did. Absolutely. He most most certainly did. And that's something that, you know, I talked about last week when the adjustment was made is because you're talking about somebody who played under Coach Shermer's system for two different teams and had over 70 starts in him. You know, he is more of a guard. This is the first time he's truly started at center, but he's played it throughout his career. He stepped in and filled in just like you want out, out of a veteran-vested offensive lineman. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the question I have for you, Dave, is I told you last week you should be a coach. So the question I have for you this week is going up against the Saints defensively. I know you're an offensive guy, but defensively, um, you know, in that Texans game, we gave up a lot of passing on the middle of the field. Yeah. My thing is, especially with Eli Apple out and the way Drew Brees was a lot better than Deshaun Watson. I would say I mean, so. <laughs> what 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 can we expect to, like, I guess, what kind of game plan can we do to kind of minimize it? They spread it out, but I just don't want to give up big chunks of yards in the middle of the field. I mean, that's that's a problem. So one what of do you the, think? Thanks, of, thanks for the call, Brandon. One, obviously, you know, a lot of this is going to come upon A and B gap pressure. You know, a lot of quarterbacks can't handle that regardless of who they are, let alone a quarterback with a Hall of Fame caliber resume and everything. But Drew Brees is not a 6'5 quarterback. You see, and he does that little look and tries to throw people off with it because that's his only way to see over the offensive line. So he, he does if a you get. Job, oh, yeah. But if you can get pressure in the A and B yeah. gaps and get him off of his spot. That's where you're going to make your mark. That's why throughout all the years that when you look at the Saints and the way that they've drafted and built their offensive linemen, those old linemen that are guards are like 330-340 because they can't give up any of the depth of the pocket because of his stature and it's not being the tallest guy. If you can get the pressure in the A and B gaps, if Snacks can be in there and be that penetrating force against an offensive line that has struggled, especially Andres Pete at the left guard position, that's where you can capitalize on getting after Drew Brees, and you've got to be able to do it with four because if not, like I was talking about earlier, Kamara is a matchup nightmare in the passing game up against linebackers and safeties. All right, let's go down to Roswell, Georgia, and check in with Rob. How you doing today, Rob? You're on with Russ and David Deal. Hey, howdy, uh, howdy from Fulton County, guys. All hey, right, how you doing? Getting ready for the baseball postseason, are you? Yeah, absolutely, but I'm even more excited a couple of weeks having the Giants come down here and whoop up on the Falcons. So I'm okay. looking forward to that game, too. Hey, I, I, a couple of things I want to point. Number one is based on that last drive that Eli led on uh, Sunday, I think Dave Gettleman showed us he knows exactly what he's talking about, doesn't he, when he called them out at his quarterback. Yes, so, he did. Uh, I, I applaud Eli. The other thing um, – it's interesting. I think the Giants are afflicted with what uh, a lot of NFL teams are have, and that's lack of depth on the offensive line. So it's kind of funny. I understand that they had to make the move from Flowers to Wheeler, and you got three sacks against, uh, a, you know, obviously an all-pro performer. And we'll wait to see what comes out of that. What I was wondering is the guy that made the initial 53 uh, but is no longer there is uh, John Jerry. And I don't know if anybody's picked him up, but in terms of depth, and that guy 
I mean, that guy played every play, every game. Is there any kind of possibility with injury or performance that we might see him back in a giant uniform? I, you know, I don't know, but you have to remember something else when you talk about depth, you, you know, say around the league with your offensive linemen or whatever the case may be. And, you know, one of the things that, that made John Jerry uh, vulnerable to being, you know, let go is also financial. You know, yeah. there's X amount of money that's invested in starters and X amount of money that's invested in backups and what the net worth is. And, you know, that becomes a business decision, Rob. Yeah, and one of the things yeah. that go along with that, with number one, I just I made sure I didn't think that he was, but he hasn't re-signed with anybody as of to now, so he's still a free agent. But the thing that I know that they tried doing with him in training camp was trying to move him around and seeing if he could play right tackle, if he could play other positions other than just guard, and he didn't do it successfully. So that's where then you were thinking, okay, Wheeler's going to be the swing. Then you have Greco as the backup who can play both guards and centers. It just became, like you were saying, a numbers game. Well, it, it, listen, they didn't discard him, if, if that's the word you want to use, just no. because th they were discarding him. A, a, as, as David just said, you give somebody a chance – is it working out? Is it not working out? And if it's not working out, then the other aspects come in, such as financial. Yeah. It, it, it's business. Right. So that's just, uh, Rob, that's just the way it yeah. goes. And with Greco, no, I got the you. fact that he I could play center know. was the big advantage I, I that he sure. took. I was not sure if, number one, Jerry uh, on his contract was going to be due more than Eric Flowers. And I recognize, you know, the political fallout you cut uh, – you cut flowers and his fifth-year contract as a rookie or, or something like that. I understand that. And I guess the other great unknown that we don't know is this kid that we picked up from San Diego, right, who started every game at center for them last year. He's also capable of playing guard. I, I imagine at some point a Shermer sees what's going on yeah. with him in practice. Spencer we, might see some, we might see some of him during the season. You and might. I'm out, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. All right, Rob, but but you know you know Dave, uh, Dave as as a former player, you know that there are certain guys they can be your best buddies, but you, you know it's it's also a business. It you, is, and you know this is not a a sport where there's no caps. You, you know it's it comes down. You know in in the end, it comes down to some dollars and cents. Now, as John Greco just pr had proven, you know, in the words of. Um, Pat Shermer, once you, once you make the team, once you're part of the 53, it doesn't matter where you were drafted or, or what, how much you're making. Or what college you went it, to. It, 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 it no matter. longer matters. It's about production. It, 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 yeah, and being ready to play. And that includes your practice squad as well. Yeah. That, that's all part and of it. And you want to talk about the constant competition – we talked about it yesterday here at this facility. There were probably 15, 20 guys that were free agents right now on the street. Every, every Tuesday. Every, every Tuesday, Tuesday working out to see if they can make it on this roster and if the Giants can make moves to bolster it moving forward. Nobody is sitting on their hands and not you know, observing what's going on uh, around the league or what they need. You're always trying to make yourself better. Always. And, and that's one thing Dave Gettleman and his staff are always looking at. Back to uh, Dave's hometown, Chicago, and check in with it. Mark. But Mark wants to talk about the D-line. Yeah, I actually, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I actually have a couple questions, one on the O-line, one on the D-line. All right, Mark. I got on the show late, uh, Dave. Um, do you think that Wheeler did enough to warrant getting a second start uh, this coming week? 
uh, in the game? Absolutely. Obviously, you know, I, I went into full length about this. Obviously, the, the sacks aren't something that you want to have happen. I said, but his production and the way that he was able to go into the running game, uh, seal up double teams, cut people off on the backside, uh, he was able to do those much better than Eric Flowers in. The second aspect that you have to look at all of it was just the way as a collective group they played. You look at the game before, seven mental errors, and obviously Eli and the team paid for it. This last one, there wasn't any. And look at the production that they had up front and how much they were able to dictate the tempo of this game. So unless Wheeler does it to himself, he's not going to be out of the lineup. How much of that improved play do you think is is attributable to uh, Greco being an at least having some experience at center and Jalapio really was doing his first year playing center and maybe you know sort of got a little shell shocked in that Dallas game? Do you think? I mean, it was uh, Greco it was, was just more uh, better at making the calls more quickly. I think you could see that throughout this game that he was up there pointing, identifying things, and the fact that he's not only started over seventy career career games. But the fact that he's played under Coach Shermer's system, not only in Cleveland, but also in St. Louis, that just helps him and the rest of the offensive line with the confidence of making those calls that he's taken now some of that pressure off of Eli because Eli knows that this is somebody that has played throughout all this stuff and knows what we need to do and what we're functionally trying to do as a unit so that now he can function and do other things. So it was a huge, a huge addition, and it was a, a great game and a great calls by, by John Greco, but now it's – Doing it consistently for the rest of the season. Okay. All right, Mark. Okay, I have a D-line question. Let me answer the D-line question. I'll take it off the air. Go ahead. Um, I didn't see the first couple of games, but what surprised me in this game was how many uh, snaps Kareem Martin had uh, with his hand in the dirt on the line. Um, is that a strategy because of the some of the issues he had as a stand-up linebacker? They're using him on the line. And what do you think that means in terms of when OV comes back? Will his playing time be diminished, or how do you think they'll use him then? I'll take it off the air. Thanks. Well, no, I, I think that uh, he'll still be a part of it, but I, I like the fact that when you have a uh, Kareem Martin that plays that way, for me, I've always thought that regardless of whether you're an outside linebacker or, or, or playing that defensive end spot, I always thought that like if you're on the attack, regardless of whether you're in a two-point stance or not, the two-point stance makes you come out higher out of your stance and you don't get leverage in that momentum to get underneath offensive tackles. That's something that I think a lot of people out of that two-point stand struggle with because that first step, instead of elevating when you're coming out of your three-point, you're already at a level where you're almost chest-to-chest, -chest, so you have to dip back down to get that leverage. So that's something that you know I understand if you're a solid stand-up outside linebacker, but when you're a tweener, I, I've never understood why, why they're not in a three-point stance when you're trying to bull rush an offensive tackle. I think that he's going to continue to play and he's going to have a ton of reps because figure the whole reason why they brought him here was he's played under this system for Arizona under James Betcher. 201-939-4513 is the number. We want to remind you once again, folks, Big Blue Kickoff Live here is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win yourself amazing Giants prizes throughout this season. Amazing let's, prizes. Let's go to uh, PA and speak with Joe. Joe, how are we doing today? Hey, wonderful, uh, Russ, David. Uh, uh, I just have to say, I'm I'm looking back. You know what I mean on that Dallas game, and that that game just burned me up so bad. You know what I mean. I didn't think we played with enough urgency. Plus, all the assignments that were blue on that game. It's just one that I I think we could have played definitely a much better game there. Well, well Joe. 
Nobody's going to dispute that, but that's two games ago. Let's move forward. We can't do anything about that I I am. I'm saying we'll go back to this offensive line stuff there. I don't know uh, if you heard what Jeff Fiegel said yesterday, Dave, uh, David, that uh, that the Texans, they ran all kind of different stuff that they didn't practice for and that they picked that up. You heard him say that yesterday, Russ? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Jeff and I were talking. Jeff had lunch with the uh, – happened to be sitting with the uh, offensive line coach yesterday. Okay, and yeah. He, and he said the first first five series, the first five plays, they, they came in with the Giants with five different things that the Giants never prepared for. Yeah, I, I noticed that right away, and that's something that I, I wrote right uh, from the start, the first third down – what they did was they basically, a lot of teams who are three, four teams do this. They call it like a radar. What they're trying to do is they're going to try to confuse the offensive line and the running backs based upon who's walking around and shifting. Yeah, it works when it's not Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt walking around. You see those guys standing up as an offensive line, you're like, we're blocking those guys. Those are our guys. You're not going to confuse running backs that way. Now, when you have guys that are number 55 and 56 and you're doing that with defensive, different defensive linemen, defensive ends, that's going to confuse you more. But I said right away, right from that first one, that was, what was it, third and four? I said, I hope the Texans' defense does this radar thing the entire game because what does it do? It delays their time and their reaction to get after the quarterback. For that split second, it allows you as an offensive line to regroup and it gives that much more time to Eli to diagnose where he wants to go with the football. All right, Joe? Yeah, uh, well, that's what I was going to say there, too, that the, that they were picking up these assignments and that. And uh, do you think here, now we have Greco. I'm glad he's the veteran that he picked it up. Do you think the guy we left go to uh, Minnesota would be doing as good, David, now, or no? Well, if you, you You're talking can't. hypothetical. Yeah, I mean, Thanks uh, for the call, Joe. Well, I mean, it is a hypothetical, but there was nothing that you can do to knock John Greco in the way that he played on Sunday. Yeah. There's nothing. It was his first game stepping in to start at center for this offense, and he did it seamlessly. So to sit here and say, oh, well, do I think Brett Jones could have done it better? There was nothing to be critical of the way that Greco played to sit here and go through that comparison. L- listen, you and I have said it at length last season and this season. We both love Brett Jones. I love him. I, I mean, you know, terrific guy, very good player. You used to talk about here's coming from a big yeah. guy. His, his point his of short, attack, point yeah. of attack leverage. But having said that, they made the decision and they did him a favor, sending him to you know where he was going to get a chance to play and start yeah. sending him to Minnesota. They went with. Uh, Jalapio, fine. So that's that was the situation. Unfortunately, he got hurt. So now you got to deal with what you're being de- dealt with. But the thing is, they went with Jalapio because he won the battle. Yeah, that was, was the only thing. And then when you look back and you think of Brett Jones, yeah, I understand where you're saying. Well, now he could have filled in. Sure, but you but can't. John Greco was backing up both guards in the center position. He filled in, and he got it done. That you're still in the same spot that you would have been if Brett Jones was here. And you still have a seventh-round draft pick from it. And, it was a win-win. And that's what, exactly why John Greco is a backup, uh, a veteran backup where they know here's a guy who can come in in exactly this type of situation. And get the job done. And get the job done and weather the storm. Absolutely. Let's go to Trenton and speak with Big Mark. Big Mark, how we doing? You're on with Russ and Dave. Big hey, Dave. how you guys doing? Great. Okay. How you doing, my man? 
I'm doing all right. Uh, listen, well, Dave, you pretty much answered the, my question. I was going to ask about the pros and cons of Chad Wheeler's game and, like, what what, what can he work on? Like, what how was his hand placement and certain things like that? Like, what did you notice, Dave? Well, uh, obviously he was a much better run blocker than a pass blocker. That's something that we all know. But the one thing that I, I've consistently not only watched on film but I've had discussions with him about is is giving up inside – Giving up, giving up inside body presence and oversetting on your defensive end, regardless of whether it's J.J. Watt or somebody else you're going up against, if you get outside of the framework of the defensive end, you're giving him a two-way go with inside leverage where, where if you run him by, you could either redirect, restart his rush on the outside, or we used to say ride the bull. Hold on and run him by for at least a second where you have a fighting chance. At the tackle position, when you don't tie your hands and your feet together and you give up inside pressure, it's over. So that's one of the areas that he still needs to be consistent with is making sure he stays inside out of the framework of the defensive end. And then from that point on, making sure that when he does make the initial contact with an end, that he gets his legs and his pads underneath him so he has the leverage to stop a bull rush. You know, okay. Mark, a bit, or I should say Big Mark. I don't Big think, Mark, I don't get it think right. people, you know, and you got <laughs> Dave here to tell you about it. I don't, you know, and this is for as long as I'm covering football, and that's a long time. I don't think people fully grasp how difficult it is to play on the offensive line. I mean, I agree. it is I a agree. very, very difficult position. And you can't be a knucklehead. I'm not pointing. No, 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 absolutely. You've got to be, yeah, you've got to be on cue. You've got to be smart. And you've got to know what, not only what all five in the old line are doing, but you've got to know what everybody else is doing on the team too. You know, there were certain times that people were like, oh, would you ever listen to route combinations? I would listen to some of them because if I hear what our tight end or our Y is going on either a Y stick or if our wide receiver is coming in on a quick slant, I know that I have to get this defensive end's hands down so he doesn't bat and he almost picks it off. So there are things that you're listening to in the rhythm of a game that it's not just, oh, I need to block my defensive end. It's I need to block my defensive end. I need to get his hands down. We're running a quick slant. Tight end's coming over the top. I don't want him to touch the ball in a crossing route. Okay, Mark. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. You got right, it, buddy. Big Thank Mark. You. Big Mark. Let's go now up to Cortland, New York, and check in with Dennis. Hello, Dennis. How are you today? Hey, gentlemen. How are you? Good. What's going Great. on, Dan? Hey, I, well, first of all, I just want to, I'm very happy about the win. I got a small complaint, but I want to say I'm very happy about the win, obviously, first and foremost. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about this. There's, there's only a couple of things that really drive me crazy when I'm watching a football game. And I have to say, number one on that list is what I call weeble wobble football, where guys just bump into people instead of wrapping their arms around them. What the heck is wrong with Riley's arms? Why can't he wrap somebody up and put arms around somebody? I, I don't get it. It's a great question because if you don't and you come in high and you don't have leverage, you are going to get Chris Conte like we saw on Monday night. But you're right, and that's something that is a a lost art, especially when you're looking at some of the corner positions, the, the art of tackling. And that's something that not only have certain areas and certain players struggled – it's been almost a struggle across the league in the NFL because a lot of the guys who are starters didn't play during the preseason, and they're now missing tackles that now, once you start getting into the week three, week four, they're in training camp phase when they should have been there starting week one. You know, Dennis, you kind of open up the garage door for us, and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up. Seriously, I'll, I'll bring it up with, with David here. You, you're talking about tackling? Well, listen, uh-huh. the NFL needs to do something about – 
tackling and, and roughing, uh, roughing the passer. Because oh, man. I will tell you this, and I, I usually don't get into it because sometimes it's hard to call, but Clay Matthews has been involved in all three, and to me, each, each penalty each week has was a worse call than the week before. I mean, this yeah. pa- this past week, he, he you saw him go into the quarterback. He made sure to put his head down. He made sure not to get into it. He he basically and he he basically laid the guy down, falling on him, and, and they called the penalty. It was the most. You, you, you know, Tony Dungy brought it up at halftime, and he he, he said, you know. What they they what the league wants to make sure is somebody's not thrown down and thrown hard into the ground. This yeah. they, they laid the guy yeah. down. So, in fairness, now now Riley is a different situation, but it's getting to a point where a lot of football players are saying this is not football, and they're going to have to spell this out and fix it because it's bad wrong. The biggest Absolutely. problem with this well, is I'm sorry. No, the biggest problem with this is number one. Just like the seasons in the past, what's a catch, what's not a catch, is the consistency of the call. You have pain yeah. basically suplex in the same game, Aaron Rodgers, and the flag's not thrown, which is identical to what they're saying the, the rule and the flag is. And then you yeah. have Clay Matthews in that same game, form tackle, head across, lower, hits in the perfect strike zone, and that's a flag. That's the issue right. that there's no consistency. And the last thing I will say is. These quarterbacks, Alex Smith, Aaron Rodgers, the minute that they get hit, they're looking over to the official and they're selling it. Am I getting the flag? Oh, oh my I gosh, know. I'm hurt. Absolutely. But then after the game, they're going on the press conference and the podium saying, well, it shouldn't have been a call. We don't want to be hit that way. Yeah, so then why you are you selling hide. it to the yeah. official yeah. that way? Because at, the, at that juncture in the game, it's going to benefit them. It's going to benefit them. Look, you can't have your cake and eat it too. No. But I, I, I've never... You know, usually the games that obviously that I'm really interested in are the ones I'm covering, and that's certainly, you know, the, the Giants. But sure. I'm watching some of these calls, and, and Dennis, it just leaves me, you know, scratching my head. And thank you for the call, buddy. Yeah, really appreciate you, uh, you bringing Absolutely. it up. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Okay. But, but I, I have to tell you, Dave, I looked at the call, and then I looked at it over and over and over again, and I'm saying – what, what are they what, looking at? What are they? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, in fairness, and we it's not just in football, it's, it, it's in baseball. It's very easy to go back and look at slow motion. These guys aren't looking at it in slow motion. They're looking at it in actual time. I get that. But some of these are so blatantly wrong. I, I, I mean... It's a different to say pick up and slam and another thing to say body weight. How are you going to stop your body weight when you're running through a a quarterback or a wide receiver not falling on top of them? And you know what it brought me back to? It brought me back to horrible flashbacks. Matthias Kiwanuka, Vince Young. Matthias Kiwanuka has a sack, thinks he's about to get a penalty. Let's go of Vince Young. Vince Young scrambles, converts the first down. They score on that drive. Game's over. We lose the game. Yep. You know, it, it, it's it's really, it's it's got to be fixed because this this is getting out of control. And I hate to say this because they certainly don't want to do it. If it's going to be this bad, it's going to get to a point where they're going to have to have reviewable penalties. Yeah, and and that's, that's going to open up oh. a whole. You you can't have that. No. And and it's also getting to the point where pretty soon, if it's going to be like this, you might as well just put. The red, red jerseys, the red practice yeah. jerseys on quarterbacks. Put the beanies or the flags on them. <laughs> they got to pull when they're going by. No, but but it, it just—I'll—I'll I'll tell you what—I don't get 
so agitated over that stuff. But I'm looking at it and I'm saying, my God, Dave. Yeah. I mean, you're an old this offensive lineman. You protect the quarterback, but it's football. And that's your job I, as an I, offensive lineman is to protect the quarterback. You have somebody that that's their job. Clay Matthews means nothing to me. You know, it's not yeah. my team. But it's I, just the I, love I and passion for the game. Bad. Yeah. I felt bad for him. I said because he was not only not only is a great football player, but he's trying to do the right thing, and he got screwed for it. So yeah. anyway, folks. That is a wrap on today for my buddy here, two-time Super Bowl champion, David Deal. I'm Russ Salzberg. Thanks for being part of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. Until next week, it is bye-bye, so long, and farewell.